Good afternoon, and welcome to episode 17 of Poetic Plonk. Now, on this episode, we'll be exploring a poem by a poet who's, well, very much one of the first names that comes to mind if you were to think of a famous playwright, whether that's in your top five or just in general. I think if you were to go up to anyone on the street, which probably would be slightly weird, but if you were to go up to anyone on the street and ask them who comes to mind in terms of classical literature or just classical plays, and, well, in my opinion anyway, Shakespeare would certainly be the first one that comes to mind. But, to be honest, up until this episode, I hadn't really explored Shakespeare in his realm of poetry, and that's exactly what we'll be doing today. So, If you do enjoy this episode, and if you have been enjoying this podcast, then do go ahead and turn on the podcast notifications, go on and leave us a review, and stay tuned to future episodes. So, let's get into episode 17. So I think to kick things off, what actually interested me the most when researching William Shakespeare was actually his initial background, because Shakespeare actually did start his life as a poet before becoming the writer that we would know him to go on to be in his in his very own right. And now I would like to just put out a subtle disclaimer at the start of this episode, that Shakespeare's early life is somewhat, well, if not very much a mystery, with limited information available about his education and overall personal experiences, I wasn't able to find all too much, well, if not that many facts at all, hard facts about his life. A lot of it is mere speculation based upon various historians' research, but overall there isn't really much that I could say to you with 100% certainty that this happened in his life. So that's just a a short disclaimer. So, for what we think we know, again, no facts. Well, William Shakespeare was born in Stratford-upon-Avon, in England, in 1564. Now, as I mentioned, the facts are a bit up in the air about this. So his exact date of birth is not known, but he was baptised on April the 26th, 1564, and therefore it's traditionally believed that he was born on the 23rd of April, three days earlier. Now, when I was just having a browse of his general facts and information, I came across the date of his death, and the date of his death is the same date as his birth, but in 1616. So, he was born on April 23rd, and he also died on the 23rd of April. Now, I'm not really a believer in superstitions or things like that, but instances like this definitely do make me question a few things sometimes. Shakespeare very likely attended the King Edward VI Grammar School in Stratford, where he received a classical education in Latin and Greek literature. And in 1582, At the very young age of 18, well, maybe not in those days, but I think certainly nowadays that would be a very young age to get married, Shakespeare married Anne Hathaway, who was eight years older than him, and she was the daughter of a local farmer. The couple went on to have three children, Susanna and twins Hamnet and Judith. But unfortunately Hamnet, Shakespeare's only son, died at the age of 11, 
but let's pivot to Shakespeare's career. Now, Shakespeare began his career as a playwright in London in the late 1580s or early 1590s, and he actually went on to become a shareholder in the Lord Chamberlain's Men. This was a leading theatrical company at the time, which later became known as the King's Men. Shakespeare wrote and acted in plays for that company, very much establishing himself as a successful playwright in the London theatre scene. Now, Shakespeare's works are typically divided into three main categories, tragedies, comedies, and histories. His tragedies, such as Hamlet, Othello, King Lear, and Macbeth, explore themes of power, ambition, and the human condition. And his comedies include the likes of A Midsummer Night's Dream, Twelfth Night, and As You Like It. And they often feature mistaken identities, love triangles, and witty wordplay. And his histories, such as Henry IV, Richard III, and Henry V, dramatise the lives of English monarchs and the political intrigues of their time that they had to, well, battle with and, I guess, deal with. But despite his wild success in playwriting, as I've mentioned, Shakespeare was also a keen poet, He wrote 154 sonnets, which are also considered among the greatest in English literature. He simply was a talent of several generations that simply don't come along that often. And the sonnets explore themes of love, beauty, time, and mortality. They are very much known for their intricate rhyme schemes and profound emotional depth. But what was life like back then? Well, if I'm being brutally honest, pretty awful. To put things into context and perspective, the average lifespan back then was about 30 years of age. This was very much due to the limited medicinal knowledge at the time. And despite all of that, populations were still increasing, which to me seems like quite a contradiction, but... I guess, in that sense, it also has to make sense. And London was very much the place to be, whether you were a playwright or a wool exporter, as wool was the main source of England's income. Now, London itself, even though today it's quite a tourist hotspot and very much a sought-after city to live in, back then, it was actually quite a violent place to be with rioters here, there, and everywhere. They were often poor apprentices who picked on any foreigners, prostitutes, and obviously the rich. And authorities didn't really care about any disturbances, unless they were major, so they essentially turned a blind eye to petty grievances. And the life of a woman back then was, well, appalling to say the least. Most women had little power or direction over their own lives. They weren't free spirits that were able to chase the career path that they really wanted to to chase. The vast majority of writings about family life in this period were centered around the patriarchal paradigm of domination and submission, essentially meaning that the man of the household ruled over his wife and children, 
just as the king at the time was ruling the country. And women were denied formal education, the opportunity to become a politician, and also had little free speech. Now, whilst their free speech wasn't legally stopped, so they were very much still able to have free speech, there was more of an expectation that they wouldn't simply go around and give their true and honest opinion. And if they did do this and, well, basically speak out, then they would be known as a scold. Now, I've never heard of this term before, and I don't think it's necessarily used nowadays. Well, definitely shouldn't be if it was to be used. Because a scold is a woman who disturbs the public peace through noise and quarrelsome behaviour. Essentially, a public nuisance. So, all in all, London in this period, or just England in this period, wouldn't really be anywhere near the top of my list to travel back to in a time machine. But let's go back to Shakespeare. Now, Shakespeare's impact on literature, language, and culture, not just English culture, but culture globally, is virtually immeasurable. His plays and poems have impacted millions of people, spanning across generations and also generations to come. He's certainly one of the first names that comes to mind with the question of who are some of the most important writers of all time. His works have been translated into numerous languages, adapted into countless films, plays, and other forms of media, including audiobooks, and on this episode, a podcast. But despite all of this, and his enduring popularity, there are still many mysteries surrounding Shakespeare's life and work. The authorship of his plays, the identity of the dark lady and fair youth in his sonnets, and the true extent of his collaboration with other playwrights, are topics of ongoing debate among scholars and Shakespeare enthusiasts as a whole. And William Shakespeare's legacy as a as a playwright, poet, and cultural icon is simply unparalleled. His works continue to captivate audiences with their universal themes, complex characters, and timeless relevance. Shakespeare's ability to capture the human experience with such depth and insight has solidified his place as one of the greatest writers in history. So, without further ado, this is, to me, fair friend, you never can be old, sonnets number 104, by William Shakespeare. To me, fair friend, you never can be old, for as you were when first your eye I eyed, such seems your beauty still, three winters cold, have from the forest shook three summers' pride. Three beauteous springs to yellow autumn turned, in process of the seasons have I seen, three April perfumes in three hot Junes burned, since first I saw you fresh, which yet are green. Ah, yet doth beauty like a dial hand, steal from his figure, and no pace perceived, so your sweet hue, which methinks still doth stand, 
hath motion, and my eye may be deceived. For fear of which, hear this thou age unbred, ere you were born, was beauty's summer dead. So first things first, I think it's fair to say what jumps out to us all is the style of English that is used in this poem, and by Shakespeare in general. The English in which Shakespeare wrote in is actually referred to as early modern English. And this was a linguistic period that lasted from around about 1500 to 1750. It's essentially a hybrid between medieval English and modern day English. But back to the poem. Now this poem reflects on three themes. Age, beauty, and the future. And the poem begins with, To me, fair friend, you never can be old. Now this addresses the ageing, and that the youth is affected just as much by this than anyone else. Now I mentioned the concept in the background of the fair youth. And the fair youth in this poem is an unnamed man, who seems to not have aged in the slightest throughout the poem. Over the three years, he's still as fresh as when they first met. And this can be seen in the line, Such seems your beauty still. This shows that despite the three years passing by, in the speaker's eye, he will never age. There's also the line, Since first I saw you fresh, which yet are green. I think the word green in this stanza, the second stanza, is also an intriguing one, as green gives the sense and imagery that the fruit hasn't quite ripened, and very much relates to the age here. And this links back nicely to the use of fresh. Now to move on to the second stanza, and the second stanza to me has quite a simplistic purpose, but is layered with beautiful descriptors, and the purpose is to emphasise the years that have passed. Three beauteous springs that go on to become yellow autumns, which goes on to talk about three hot summers, and these little paired phrases that connect to one another open our eyes to varying imagery. Nature, in all its seasons, and all its beauty. And when reading this stanza, I instantly visualise seasons transitioning in all their glory. The leaves on trees changing colour, going from their bud to its full growth and glory in green, to autumn where the leaf will fade to an orange before slowly floating to the floor. Now to go to the final section of the poem. Interestingly, the speaker acknowledges the age here, not directly, but quite indirectly, even though his eyes do not want to. The line, and mine eye may be deceived. And time moves so slowly that we may not inherently or instantly recognise that someone close to us is ageing without significant time apart. The line, ah, Yet doth beauty like a dial hand, pens this thought quite, quite well and simply. Beauty is like the dial of a hand on a clock. It slowly ages us, but we can't stop it, 
and we wouldn't be able to recognize the aging process second by second, but rather hour by hour, if naturally we spend time apart. Now, time and beauty are obviously interlinked. We know this. But the simile and imagery of a dial hand representing this, in my opinion, is a tremendous representation of, of this relationship. The speaker knows that the young man's beauty must change at some point. The young man's sweet hue hath motion. And this essentially saying that his, I guess his glow, it moves, it has to change, it has to develop and essentially lose this hue. The beauty is changing, but the speaker's eyes refuse to see this. And the poem then ends with a couplet. Now a couplet is a pair of consecutive lines of poetry that conveys a complete thought or idea. The couplet is, For fear of which, hear this, thou age unbred. Here you were born, whose beauty summer dead. The term, thou age unbred, is the future generations to come. Essentially, the unborn generation. No matter what they see around them now, well, the speaker in this poem, the most beautiful person to have lived is now dead. Was beauty summer dead? Here, the speaker is essentially saying that future generations will not be fortunate enough to witness the beauty of his friend. Now, what is unclear is whether this was a friend, a lover, or any certain specifics, which has often led to people assuming that Shakespeare could quite possibly have been bisexual. And upon my research, I did come across this topic quite often, and was often thinking about whether I should touch upon this in the episode. But I came to the conclusion that this very much is a poetry podcast, and we should focus on his works of poetry, and whilst this may be significant, it is also just an assumption. No one really knows the true nature of his sexual orientation. So I think this couplet definitely does end the poem beautifully. So that brings us to the end of episode 17. I'd like to thank you all for listening, and if you did enjoy this different episode, then go ahead and leave us a review and turn on the podcast notifications so you can keep up to date with future episodes. And this episode for me certainly was a different one, as it takes me back to my school days and it really makes you think hard when translating, which is a strange concept in itself, having to translate your own language, because even though this still is English, it's very different to modern day English as you can hear in the in the sonnet, and as maybe you've heard if you've seen or read Shakespeare's plays or even sonnets and poems. So on that note, I'd like to wish you all a good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. I'll see you on the next one.